Good morning. It's Sunday, January 3rd, day two of the Bible reading plan in the Adventures in Odyssey Club. Today's verses are Psalm 119, verses 9 through 16, and Matthew chapters 3 and 4. I'm going to start off with some thoughts on the psalm today, or the section from the psalm today. And I was thinking a lot about the passage yesterday of can we ever fully follow God's decrees and, and his laws? And this section continues that by verse 9 that says, How can a young man keep his way pure by living according to your word? And I was thinking, if we can never fully follow God's word, we're always going to mess up. How do we keep our way pure? And the parallel that I drew last time of uh, the religion of Islam saying, if you've done as much as you can, then God will forgive you. Christianity is different in that we are supposed to do as much as we can still. We're supposed to follow God with all of our heart and have his redemption through us and Christ's redemptive work in us lead us to follow his commands. And then we will continue to follow his commands and be sanctified by Christ's sacrifice for us and by his righteousness. Uh, Verse 14 says, I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. And a lot of times we think there, there are laws in place and God gives us rules to push us down and to make us follow his decree and his his law and to do what he, he wants us to do. And we're not going to like it, but we'll do it. But these verses say that if we are following God's law and if we are following after God's own heart, like David was from the last passage, then we will rejoice in the law. And so that's something I've been trying to be able to do to look at God's law and look at what he's laid out in the Old Testament and in the fulfillment in the New Testament and rejoice in that and also continually rejoice in his sacrifice for me through Jesus Christ. So the next passage is Matthew 3 chapter, or sorry, Matthew chapter 3 and 4. Um, This is the chapter where John the Baptist is introduced and then Jesus is baptized by him and then is tempted in the wilderness and then begins to call his disciples. So chapter 3 and chapter 4, to a certain extent, talk about the fulfillment of prophecy from the Old Testament and that what verses said, this is what Jesus will be in the Old Testament, then are fulfilled here in the New Testament. And I wonder how how people who are still, uh, who still practice Judaism, who are still Jews, um, but don't believe in Jesus, can look at these verses and deny the fulfillment of this prophecy. It's incredible. Verse 3, 8 in Matthew um, is when John the Baptist is talking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees who had come to watch him baptize. And I'm imagining the Pharisees and Sadducees standing off to the side and be chiding him for, for doing what he's doing or being confused as to why he's doing this. He's not one of them. He's not. He's a rugged man. He eats locust, wild honey. His, his uh, I'm guessing his clothes. Oh, his clothes are made out of camel's hair. It says in here too. Uh, verse 8 is when John is uh, speaking against them and he says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance and do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. This again ties back into the Psalm that if we are truly sanctified by God and if we're truly following his commands and we have truly repented, then the fruit that will come out of that will be good. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees were evil in a way because they were perverting God's word and were using it for their own gain and were basically using it as a club 
to anyone who disagreed with them, to beat them over the head with it. That's not loving. And their fruits were, were wickedness. That's what John was speaking against. And that's why John was baptizing people apart from the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And that's why he had such strong words against them, because he knew that they weren't truly repentant. They weren't there to be baptized. They were there to mock him and they were there to find out what he was doing. And as we find out later in scripture, that's what they did to Jesus as well. Even though Jesus was good, the only truly good man on this earth who was also God in the flesh, although Jesus was good, they hated him because they were not truly repentant. And that's something we can apply to our lives as well. There are a lot of people who can be practicing good works and who can be doing good things and are good moral people. But if they reject Jesus Christ, then that's a problem. You can do all the good in the world and you can still be good. But if you don't have, if you have not received salvation, if you haven't repented and your fruits don't follow from that repentance, then you need to to question what, in what are you putting your faith? What are you doing that are your are your good works just because you believe in morality and in morals or are they because you have a higher calling from God and hopefully we can all see that in our lives that our calling to do good works should come from God and not just our humanity but our humanity should inspire us to look to others as we treat others as we treat ourselves so then Jesus shows up and John has been saying that I'm not even fit to tie his sandals and then Immediately, the couple verses after that, John or Jesus shows up and says he wants to be baptized by John. And John is saying, I can't baptize you. I'm not, I'm not worthy to do that. You should be baptizing me. But Jesus says, let it be so now. It is proper for us to, to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Because this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And for Jesus to be baptized and for what happens after that, the incredible display of God's power. Jesus is baptized. The Holy Spirit descends like a dove. The voice shouts from heaven, this is my son in whom I love, whom I love with him I am well pleased. That is an incredible moment that to everyone there and to John signified and to us reading this in scripture right now that Jesus is who he says he was, that he is God in the flesh. And it was proven here from the beginning. Not only did Jesus say it in John 10 30, I believe is the verse where he says, I and the father are one, but this right here shows that Jesus is special. Did this voice appear for any of the other people being baptized? Obviously God had great joy when all these, when these other people came to repentance and came to know him through the old Testament law, I'm guessing is how they were sanctified and atoned for. But Jesus was special and this made it clear. And then after this, after Jesus is tempted, John is put in jail and Jesus begins to preach and he begins to preach the same thing that John preached, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. So John really was a precursor for Jesus. He did prepare the way. And after he baptized Jesus, Jesus then was tempted and then took the job that John had. Incredible. So Jesus in chapter four of Matthew is taken into the desert to be tempted by Satan. And Satan is the father of lies and he continually lies about everything that God does and all his promises for us. And he takes what is good by God and perverts it. And reading through this passage and remembering, thinking back to Genesis, um, maybe not as much in Genesis, but clearly here, I don't see him outright lie about anything. 
because he's saying, if you are the son of God, then tell these stones to become bread. If you are the son of God, throw yourself down. And then he quotes scripture. If, if then statements don't have truth values assigned to them. So from what we can tell from what Satan is saying here, he only says the three if then statements and he attaches the verse to the second one, throwing Jesus down, uh, having Jesus throw himself down from the temple. But he is still the father of lies and he is still deceptive. And in our life, we can see a lot of times, I'm thinking through my life, when I have been deceived and lied to by someone. And even though there were not exact lies in the statements, the person who was telling the lie was being deceptive. And that person had an agenda, an ulterior motive behind it. So if you can recognize what is deceptive, what is an outright lie, and what is manipulation, what all that is, then that is how you can resist the devil. And that is how you can resist this kind of temptation. Because what Jesus does is he takes what Satan says to him. If you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus is hungry at this point. Um, and so turning stones into bread would be easy for him. Obviously, Satan is tempting him to get him to fall. And Jesus then quotes scripture. This ties back into the psalm that if you hide God's word in your heart, then that is how you will not sin against him. You will still sin, but that is a defense against the devil. And Jesus is using that defense right here. And he's using it effectively because what Satan will do is he'll disguise falsehoods and disguise deception as the truth. These if-then statements seem like they're true. But what they're trying to do is get him to contradict scripture, which is always a lie and which is always evil. And even when he quotes scripture right here, he's quoting something that Jesus knows. He says, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. He knows that Jesus is who he says he is. Satan, above all other people, above anyone else actually, might know that Jesus is God and is the Messiah. And yet he trembles in his presence and does and rejects him because he has fallen and because he is the embodiment of all evil. And by quoting truth, by saying a true thing back to Jesus, he, that doesn't make him truthful. That still makes him deceptive because he wants the result to be Jesus denying his, um, his I guess, his, his state as God, denying that Jesus is truly God by causing him to sin. Because if Jesus were to fall for this temptation, he would have sinned, but he didn't. He used scripture and eventually said, be gone from me, Satan, by quoting scripture. And if we are tempted and we try to rationalize what's going on, what we're being tempted with, and try to figure it out on our own, without using scripture as a source, we are going to fall. We're not going to withstand the devil's attacks on us because we are fallible and because he is the master of this. He knows better than any of us what the best temptation is. And his temptations have been so effective over the thousands of years that he's been doing this. He's been doing this for a very, very long time. Satan is real. He's a real threat. And the only way to fight against him is the same way that Jesus fought against him with scripture. And yes, we will still fall, but this is our best defense.
So that's all I have for these verses. Thank you again for listening today. This is, again, it's been very, very helpful to me. I hope it's also been helpful to you to, if you're following along with me, these verses, even if you don't have the club, again, um, look up these verses. I recommend taking a little bit of time each day just to, to read a little bit. If you don't have time to read the, the chapters, read the Psalm. The Psalm is still very, uh, very insightful. I would also ask if you all are praying, the, the praying type, which I, I hope you are, um, if you would pray for me, I'm going through some uh, questions about uh, relationship and, and things like that. Some of you will know what it is and understanding for clarity and, and wisdom and the resolution of some fears that are present in this relationship. But um, it's unclear exactly what those fears are. So bringing those out and bringing them to light and having them be resolved is something that I would need prayer for. Um, and I'll keep you updated over the, I guess, the rest of this Bible reading plan, how it's going. And if you need me to pray for you for anything, I can, I can do that. Um, thanks for listening and have a good day.